Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. That was it, Phineas thought to himself. We have got to go take down those other tribes. We have got to deal with Reuben, Gad, that half-tribe of Manasseh. I hate to say it, I know we just got done conquering the land, but this is civil war. If this is what it takes to make sure that the holiness and the righteousness of God stands true, then we have got to go fight them now. Phineas set his jaw, determined to lead. Man, determined to to take the other tribes to find out exactly what was happening and to fight and again to possibly go into civil war because that's how much God's holiness mattered. Now, how did we get here? I mean, what is this about war? Just last week, we conquered the land. Yay! And they gave out some of the land to some of the tribes. Yay! How in the world now we're looking at civil war? Well, before we get to Joshua 24 and 25, we've got to go back to where we left off, which is around Joshua 17 and 18. And see, we left Joshua drawing allotments for each tribe. So some Jewish scholars believe he would put his hand in one pot, draw out the name of a tribe, put a hand in another pot, and draw out the allotment that they got. Well, one of the first tribes he drew was Judah. And Judah, Judah got the southern part of the kingdom. And and it's really neat if you go into the book of Joshua to see what type of land they got. And to get out a map and to look at it, it's really interesting. But just for our story, Judah, they got a sweet part of southern Israel. Then Joshua drew out the names of Manasseh and the name of Ephraim. Those were the next two tribes. Now Manasseh, again, got a nice part of Israel somewhere in the middle up towards the north a little bit. And Ephraim got a part of the land right above Judah. Now Manasseh and Ephraim are called the house of Joseph. And the reason they're called the house of Joseph is because These two men, Manasseh and Ephraim, were the sons of Joseph. And Jacob said to his son Joseph, Don't worry, you will be forever part of our family. Once they went down to Egypt and discovered who Joseph was and that whole story, that you can go back to another Bald Head Bible podcast to hear all about. Well, they said, Hey, don't worry, Jacob says, Your sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, they will be taken care of. I promise And so the house of Joseph was split into two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. 
Well, you know, those three tribes are taken care of. Judah, Manasseh, Ephraim. Now, there's 12 tribes total, right? So, there's some other tribes that still have to go. And in Joshua chapter 18, it says that seven tribes came to Joshua and said, We still don't have land. We've got to work this out. We want our allotment. So, it's interesting. Joshua says, All right. And they move to this town called Shiloh. And that's where they did the drawings again. But before they went, Joshua said, All right, I want you to take two men from every tribe of these seven tribes and I want you to go check out the land. I want you to survey it and put down some markers so we can more accurately know what part is what and what part starts where and what mountain range starts here and what river starts there. And so they went throughout all the land, these 14 men from these seven tribes checking out the land, surveying it. And eventually, we don't know how long it took, but they came back and they said, all right, we did it. So let's get our land. And so they drew up sort of like a new map and he made new lots that he could draw from. Because remember, this decision of who got what, what tribe got what land was totally of God. Because that's how, if we weren't certain what to do back then, God, what should we do? They drew lots. That's what they did. You know, now we can go directly to God in prayer and say, Lord, direct me, lead me. Now we have scripture that we can read. And the Holy Spirit can talk to us and lead us. But back then they didn't have any of that. All they had was the lot to seek direct guidance from God. So Joshua drew the lot again and the first tribe that came up was Benjamin. Benjamin got a cool little plot of land that has the town of Bethlehem in it and the town of Jerusalem. I mean, some really cool spots, though it's pretty small, but still some of the most exciting cities for prophecy ever. Bethlehem, right, where Jesus was born. Then he drew Simeon, the tribe Simeon. Now, the tribe Simeon, they got land within the land given to Judah. That's where they got their land. Then he drew out Zebulun. And Zebulun got their land up north. They're going to live up by the seashore a little bit. Then he drew out the tribe of Issachar. And, and they got a fertile and beautiful valley. They're going to lie east of Zebulun and south of the Sea of Galilee. And a really cool spot. Then they draw out Asher. Now, if you look at the map, Asher looks really cool. I mean, right along the Mediterranean coast there. And it's right on the north. Okay, so anybody that wants to invade Israel, they're going to go through Asher first. So they would often warn people of forces coming and foes coming and that sort of thing. Then he drew out the name of Naphtali. The next tribe was Naphtali. And they got a really cool spot adjacent to Asher. And then finally, of these seven tribes here in chapter 18 and 19 of the book of Joshua, the group that gets their land last is Dan. I feel bad for Dan. Everything I've read, basically, Dan got the least desirable spot. They got a spot just above Judah, but in between Ephraim, 
sort of surrounded by Ephraim, Benjamin, and Judah. And it wasn't the greatest spot, I guess, in terms of land. You know, I, I grew up the youngest. I don't think it was because Dan's the youngest. But you feel like, as the last person, you get the worst choices. But this was by lot. God said, all right, we're going to draw out these names. And Dan was drawn last. In fact, their land was so bad, eventually they moved up north and took over a city, and it became the city of Dan. So they eventually moved out of their spot and went across the Jordan and took over a city, which later on became known as the city of Dan. Well, that's seven tribes, right? Plus we had Judah, Ephraim, and Manasseh. So that's ten tribes, but there's uh, two tribes left, right? Where are those? Well, before Israel entered the Promised Land, before they set about to conquer the Promised Land, three tribes came to Moses and said, Listen, we are cattlemen, and we love our cattle, and we need lots of room. And look at all this land east of the Jordan before you enter the promised land. Can we have this land? We, we want this land. We don't want the land in the promised land. We want this land that we just took from Og of Bashan and some of the Amorites and Moabites. Can we have this land? And Moses says, checks with God, and they God says yes. And so before they went into the promised land, Reuben got a southern part that was east of the Jordan River, sort of near the Dead Sea. Then the tribe of Gad, and they got a nice spot above Reuben, east of the Jordan, east of the Dead Sea. They liked it for the beautiful lush valley where their cattle could feed. And then finally, up north, half of the tribe of Manasseh. They got a nice northern spot. Now, they had their spot. They had their land. The Moabites and the Amorites had already been kicked out of the land, but Moses said, listen, I'll give you this land, but you got to go in and you got to help your brothers fight. Will you do that? So they already had this land before they even began the conquest back in Joshua chapter 1 and Joshua chapter 2. Well, there was one more tribe that didn't get any land, that didn't have any land. One more tribe, and that tribe were the Levites, the tribe of Levi. Now, the thing is, the tribe of Levi did not get land. Why? Because they were blessed in a special, spectacular way. How were they blessed? They were blessed because out of the Levites came the priests who served God. You hear of this word, the Levitical priesthood? If you were going to be a priest and serve God at the temple, you had to come from the tribe of Levi. And so their lot, their land, was the tabernacle. Their lot, their land, was to continually serve and be with God. What an awesome responsibility. But not only that, they had to study the law. They had to understand the Ten Commandments and the books of the law and what Moses passed down. They had to study this and know it. 
And not only that, God said, your inheritance is me in the tabernacle. That would be an awesome inheritance. God also said, I'm going to give you 48 cities. So they didn't get land, but they got 48 cities. Now, it's interesting. Somebody did the math. And all these cities which had a Levitical presence or somebody who knew the Old Testament well, if they had a Levite priest or some Levite scholar in all those 48 cities, the average Jewish person was only 10 miles from somebody who understood the law. So, you know, that's sort of cool. They didn't have Instagram or social media or, you know, texting back then, or they didn't have Google. But man, if you wanted to know, how should we interpret the law here? Or I wonder what this piece of law means here. Or what did God intend here? Hey, 10 miles away from any part of Israel, you could find a scholar who could tell you, this is what this means. So the land is parsed out and the land is given, all right? And all these tribes have their part, and they like some of it, and they don't like some of it. And again, Judah had a nice spot, it seems. And Ephraim and Manasseh, they didn't like their spots, and they, they wanted more land. And there were some arguments here and there, but God fulfilled his promise. The land was at peace. The tribes had their allotment. And so remember, Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they came to Joshua and said, Listen, we got to go home. We haven't seen home for seven years. We fulfilled our part. We came over just like we said, and we fought, and we fought hard. Can we go back? And Joshua says, Sure. You fulfilled what you were going to do. And thank you for your hard fighting. And thank you for being faithful. And thank you for being true. So Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. I wish they had a different name. But the half-tribe of Manasseh, they left and they started to go home. They haven't seen their loved ones for over seven years. They haven't been home for seven years. And so when they're about to cross the Jordan River and to be back home, a couple of them stop and say, listen. We're not going to be able to see Issachar and Zebulun and Judah and Dan and Benjamin. And we're going to be far, far away from them. But I want them to know that we're on their side. And, and I think it was the part where, remember when they walked across the Jordan River and the Jordan River stopped. And so they built a monument right there. I wonder if it was near there where they saw that monument to the miracle God had done. And maybe a couple Reubenites and Gadites and half-tribe of Manassehites got together and said, let's build an altar. Let's build our own altar as a memorial to God and to say to the rest of the tribe of Israel, we're on your side. So whenever you walk in and cross the Jordan, you'll see, yes, Reuben, Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh, we're on your side. And every time we come back, we'll remember our covenant with Yahweh, yeah, let's do it, woohoo, high fives. And so they build an altar to the Lord. But they just don't build an altar. They build a massive altar, a huge altar. An altar so big you can see it for miles around. And the word gets back to the other tribes. And it says there in Joshua, 
that when the other tribes hear it, they think, oh no, they're apostatizing, which is a big word for basically saying they're running away from God. They're worshiping other gods. They didn't, again, they didn't have the cell phone and they didn't have Google and they didn't have Google images and they didn't, you know, they could take a picture of the altar and, you know, what, what the people, the rest of Israel didn't know is that Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh are building this altar to honor Yahweh, but they get the message. They're building an altar to another God and they're pursuing another God. And so, when the other tribes hear of this, they think, we have got to go fight them. And Phineas, one of the leaders, he says, we're going to have to fight him. We're going to have to kill him all. He's all for civil war. Now, who's this Phineas? Well, Phineas shows up in the Bible in Numbers 25. And Phineas is a loyal follower of Yahweh. In Numbers chapter 25, he's the one that stops a plague that breaks out that kills over 24,000 Israelites. Why'd this plague break out? It came from God. Why did God send this plague? Because the Israelites were intermarrying with the Moabites. And they weren't only just intermarrying, they were pursuing Baal. They were actively worshiping other gods. And Yahweh said, I'm done with this. And so he sent a plague to punish them. And the only way it stopped was because of the zeal of Phineas, who literally killed one of the Israelites who was mocking God. It's a really interesting story, and we'll tell it on Bald Head Bible at some point. But just so you know, Phineas had a zeal for God, and it was his zeal and his love for the righteousness of God that stopped the plague. So this guy's well known in Israel, and when he says, We got to go fight, we got to go find out what's happening, everybody listens. So before they rush out to fight, they send two men from every tribe and they show up and when they look at the altar and when they see Reuben and Gad and half tribe of Manasseh and they gather with them and they say what are you doing this looks like you're pursuing another god and you remember what happened when we lost 24,000 of our countrymen because of us pursuing other gods don't do this I think when Reuben, the leaders of the tribe of Reuben, and the leaders of the tribe of Gad, and the leaders of the half-tribe of Manasseh, when they heard that, I think they were broken to the core. And it says something about them. They could have gotten mad. You know when you're falsely accused? Don't you want to get in somebody's face and yell at them and, Hey, you back off. That's not what I meant at all. How dare you? Can't you think better of me? You know, you're such a jerk, and you get in their face, and you get mad, and you start yelling. Well, to their credit, they didn't. Instead, they answer kindly. Instead, they say, that is not what we meant at all. This is not what we meant at all. Please. We didn't mean anything rash by this at all, and so... In Joshua chapter 22, those eastern tribesmen, the half-tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Reuben, and the tribe of Gad, 
they defend themselves, but they defend themselves honestly, kindly. And it says there in Joshua chapter 22, verse 24, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh say, We swear we have done this because we were worried that in the future your descendants would say to our descendants, What relationship do you have with the Lord? We're doing this to honor, to worship God. And so verse 26, So we decided to build this altar, not for burnt offerings and sacrifices, but as a reminder to us and you and to our descendants who follow us that we will honor the Lord. We weren't trying to do anything bad. And it says that when Phineas and the clan leaders and the various men from the other tribes heard this, they were pleased. I think they hugged it out. They were happy. And they were glad. And whew, civil war was averted. You know, I just think it's so interesting. You can, you can misjudge people's motives so easily. And that's why I would encourage you, perception check. Check to make sure what you're perceiving is correct. Don't assume that what you're seeing is what you think it is, because it may not be that way at all. You need to ask. You need to talk. And as Christians, man, we need to do it in graciousness and honor. But one thing I do like is they were zealous for the things of God. I got to give them that credit. Yeah, they were probably a little too fast to judge the Reubenites, but they weren't going to put up for the holiness of God being trampled on. And man, we need more people who care about the purity of the church, the purity of your word, the purity of the word. There's so much to learn from that little incident. But thankfully, God worked. And their zeal for the law was tempered by their love for their brethren. And so they went away in peace. And the land and the nation, finally, this is their country. They have the promised land. They are living in it. God has kept his promise. And later on, Joshua, like Caleb, got his own town. Joshua picked a spot, not the most luscious. He could have picked the most grand spot he wanted, but he actually picked a spot that was going to take a lot of work to settle. And I guess there were some Canaanites still in there, and Joshua had to dig them out. And, and remember, there were pockets of resistance still throughout the nation of Israel. And Joshua had to deal with some himself. But then, 10 to 20 years later, Joshua is 110 years old. God comes to him. And he says, Joshua, you're about to die. You're about to come home. You're about to be with me forever. I need you to gather Israel. And I need you to talk to them one last time. And I need you to tell them something. What's that? What's that? What's that, says Joshua? I think Joshua knew his time was coming up. I don't think this was a surprise that he was about to die, but God has one last message for him to pass on to the Israelites? What is it, God? What is it? And Yahweh says, Well, if you come back next week, we will find out that 
final message. And it is a stirring message of God, a stirring message from Joshua to live for God and to live for no one else. But I just want to end today's story by just saying it is neat to see how God is a promise-keeping God. And it is neat to see how God works in his people despite their failures, despite their weaknesses. God continues to work and to keep his promises. And it is a big encouragement to me to think God promises to keep his promises. If he says he'll do it, he'll do it. And I think as a Christian, I worry about health or politics or war or arguments between friends. And how is living for God going to end up down here? And you can get caught up in all that. But at the end of the day, I have got to live in joy. And I've got to live with peace. Why? Because I have a promise keeping God. And one of the greatest promises God has given to you as a Christian is that he promises never to leave us or forsake us. And he promises joy at his right hand forevermore. That we will be with God for eternity. With him. So why do I worry about little stuff down here? If he can keep his promises to the nation of Israel and lead them back to the land and just fight for their behalf. He stops the earth from rotating. He throws rocks from heaven and kills their foes. And in the end, he gives them lush and beautiful lands to build their home. If God can do that for them, I can trust that my God will keep his promises, will take care of me. And all I have to do is follow him trust him, share him as much as I can with everybody I know. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.